Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Most Christians are like whippersnippers. I'm probably talking to most of the blokes, but I know there are lots of ladies that do do the whippersnipping from time to time. I bought a whippersnipper on eBay a couple of years back. And I don't know about you, whippersnippers are the most frustrating things to get started. I bought this whippersnipper and the instructions and the steps just to get it started are like 10 steps on a whippersnipper. Oh, you've got to prime the pump 10 times. You've got to turn the knob to the, to the right once, then pull the cord, then wait for it to slightly fire, then into the middle, pull the cord again, wait for it to fire three times, and then pull it again. And every time you're trying to work a whippersnipper, you've got to pull that thing about 15 times. <laughs> and you see, most the average Christian, when it comes to doing justice, I think is like a whippersnipper. We are incredibly difficult at getting started. But when we do, we're incredibly simplistic in how we work. It's smelly, it's noisy, but it's effective. <laughs> and what Jesus says from this passage, he takes all 3,000 passages or so on social justice for you, Jesus does, and he summarizes it into a two-stroke engine of justice for you this morning. When you want to know what it means to do justice, it's, it's a two-stroke engine that I hope in this message... I'm going to get started in you this morning. The two-stroke engine is this. He says, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't get simpler than that, does it? How do I do social justice? Love God, that's Emily last week in Right Alignment with God, and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, love your neighbor with such passion, such fervor, such intricacy such focus as you would love yourself that's what happens when jesus is talking to this lawyer this barrister at a soiree that he's having you can imagine the scene there's the lawyer the barrister oh yes so uh teacher what must i do to inherit eternal life and jesus throws a question back at him what do you say it is oh yes well it's love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself of course and jesus says great okay go and do likewise Man, he's a genius, isn't he? (laughs) The guy's an absolute genius. He out-barristers the barrister. He says, fine, it's it's really simple. Just go do it. Go love your neighbor, the person who is radically different from you, with all the level of focus, resource, interest that you would love yourself. Just do that, right? End of message? Or are you feeling the same tension... The same pressure of Jesus' logic on your life as it was for that lawyer. We know that we don't do this. We know that we don't love our neighbor as ourselves with the same energy and the same veracity that we love ourselves. And that's where the tension is. That's why in some ways it, it's a little bit amiss for someone to say, Hey, in order to be right with God, I'm just going to, I'm just going to follow the golden rule. Do unto others as... I would want them to do unto me. We know that we don't live by the golden rule. And so Jesus pushes us in like that with barrister-like precision. Here it's simple. God's requirement, says Jesus, of doing justice is to meet the needs of people around you so concretely, so practically, so lovingly, that when others see you doing that, they are going to need the gospel to explain what the heck you're doing. Just go and do it. <laughs> um, do we, can we 
how do we do social justice? I want to start this two-stroke engine today. I didn't tell you, my whippersnipper's got a whole... I realised it's got a whole heap of attachments that you can actually pull the shaft off. So you don't just have a whippersnipper, but you have a pruner, you have a leaf blower that you can attach onto the end, uh, you can have a hedging trimmer. It's fascinating stuff this morning. You never thought you'd get this in a message in church. But you've got all these tools that you can attach to your whipp- whippersnipper. Here's, here's the point of what, I'm gonna, what, what I want to do this morning. Is that I just want to focus on the two-stroke engine. Next week, we're going to look at some of the realities of the practices of social justice. This week is about the principles of social justice. This week is about, look, if we can get these three principles that we see in this story right, if if we get these into our heart, we will kickstart an engine in our lives that it doesn't matter what you stick onto the end of it down the track, you're going to be working. You're going to be loving God and you're going to be loving other people. What are these three principles that we see from the passage this morning? The story that Jesus tells. Here it is in Luke 10. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He, it was a Jew. He was attacked by robbers. A priest, a church minister sees him and walks over to the other side. And then a Levite, a Kelay leader, an elder, sees his fellow Jew and walks to the other side of the road. And then along comes a Samaritan. Their arch enemy, it was an oxymoron, this story, the parable of the good Samaritan. There's no such thing in Jewish culture as the good Samaritan. This would be the parable of the good Taliban, the parable of the good ISIS member. Can you see how shocking Jesus' story is here already? The Jews hated Samaritans. They hated Samaritans so much that if a Jew thought that a Samaritan had cast a shadow upon them, they would have to go to the priest in order to be ritually cleansed. That is how much they hated these guys. A Samaritan sees the Jew lying bloodied and beaten on the road, attacked by robbers, and he helps him. And he says to the teacher of the law, Who was the one that was neighbourly to him? Who was the one that practised, in our terms, social justice? Who had the social concern? Who put things right where he was? And the the, the barrister couldn't even bear to say the word Samaritan. He said, the one who had mercy on him. (laughs) And Jesus is going to do likewise. What do we see? The three principles for your life this morning. Next 15 minutes or so, three principles that I think, if we get this right, there's going to be the smell of two-stroke wafting around this auditorium and in neighbourhoods right throughout Sydney this morning. Here's the first principle that you need to have if you're going to do social justice. The first one is you need to see the need. The Samaritan man saw the need. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was and he saw him and he took pity on him now uh, what we know is that the priest saw him move to the other side the levite saw him and moved to the other side and i realized that this is not a matter of of not physically seeing the need that was happening here in fact it's because i've had the privilege to walk this road from jerusalem down to jericho when I travelled in Israel, I, I walked down, we, we started at the top, we walked, walked, walked through and we, we ended up just outside where you could see Jericho. But I can tell you the path that you walk down, it's, it's not the Pacific Highway. This thing is just a dirt track that is cut into the side of a massive gorge in a ravine where all the water travels from the heights of Jerusalem down towards Jericho, the Jordan River and the Dead Sea. And so this is a single track. 
And the thing that's hit me since being there is that the Levite and the priest, this was not a matter of them just missing it because the guy was in their peripheral vision. In order to go to the other side of the road, this singular track, you would literally have to bush bash your way up into the shrubs around the other side of the guy, tiptoe and back onto the track. So it doesn't mean that, that they didn't physically see the need. What does the Samaritan do? The Greek word says that he splagnitzomide him. And for some of us, that's a familiar word because our friend John North, who leads us in evangelism shift, preached on this once. He splagnitzomide. It's one of the few occasions where this comes up again to see. He didn't just see him. What it means is that he saw the need and he was moved to action out of compassion for this guy. He's splagnitzomide. You and I, we see needs all the time. We know, we see, we watch the World Vision ads, we see the news stories. That's not the seeing that this scripture is talking about. The seeing that this scripture is talking about is splagnitzomying. It is to see someone's need and condition and be so moved by that that you move into action out of compassion. And so you need to see... In that way, we often don't do social justice because we don't see the needs right underneath our noses. Uh, a guy called Daniel Fan, he's an advocate for Native American Indians in the United States. He uses a phrase, don't rob crazy horse to pay tutu. What he was saying is don't... Don't neglect the needs of the Native American Indians in order to send aid across to Bishop Desmond Tutu in Africa. You miss the need that is right underneath your noses. It, it reminds me of a, a scene in that movie, The Help. A bunch of white ladies are all gathered around and they're, they're all getting together because they want to do a fundraiser in order to help the poor in Africa. And the lead lady of this white group of ladies during the civil rights movement in the deep south, the leader of this group is also trying to rally her friends, great heart, rally her friends to build outdoor toilets for their African-American help because they're too dirty to use the indoor ones. And to make it even worse, she's at a rally in which she's at this fundraiser and she's talking about the poor Africans who they are wanting to help. And she turns to her African-American help and says in a condescending tone, y'all should know about this. There are needs right beneath our noses. And on one hand, the challenge and the wrestle for us as a church is that we talk about the gravity and the issue of sex trafficking. And at the same time, I'm reminded like there are articles in the Sydney Morning Herald in November of 2013 on the 17th that says Sydney's newest red light district moves north. And that in the Crow's Nest and the North Sydney area, there are 35 illegal operating brothels. That if you were to walk out the doors of our church... And look down the laneway to where we have a car park. You'd be looking right into the guts of it all. There is a deep challenge for us that we are missing the needs right beneath our noses. We've got to see them, not just see them, but be moved to compassion to do something about this. Here's the second principle uh, that we see 
from the Samaritan. Not only does he see the need, not only should you see the need, but you need to be prepared to be inconvenienced. Uh, Verse 34, he went to him and he bandaged his wounds. He took care of him. Now, I'm sure that the Samaritan didn't get up in the morning and say to his wife, you know what, hon, you know, I've, got to, I've got to go down to Jericho. I, I hope I run into a battered, bleeding Jew on the way. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure the way that he was walking down there was not, not, with, a, not with a little car, with, with Samaritan Ministries International and a little trailer, with a little coffee cart for him on the way down there. <laughs> I've, I think the Samaritan's like us. We're going to and from home. We're going to and from work. We're going to and from our schools. We're going to and from our universities. And there's the need. It begins to answer the question that we have and the tension we feel in terms of, well, who should we do justice to? Jesus says the people you do justice to is whoever is in your path. And in order to do that, we must realize that justice starts when we're prepared to be inconvenienced. Here's what it means in layman's terms. It's why I love this passage. It's my favorite. For this reason only, what Jesus is saying to you this morning, if you want to kickstart this engine of loving God and loving others, then maybe you just need to get off your ass. The man got off his donkey. And he bandaged him. <laughs> That's true. Only time I ever get to say that in church. <laughs> I don't know about you. I, found, I find mercy incredibly inconvenient. Isn't it? It's incredibly inconvenient. I'm no champion at this. I've told you that this is something I'm working out in my own life. But in those small, small moments we have to put things right where we are. We've got one of our mates here that's a mate of many of the churches around this place called Billy. And Bill struggled with alcoholism his whole life, homelessness, drugs, addiction. He's always around here. For, he's worshipped with us a few times as well. We love Bill. But you know what the thing I find about Bill? is He, he never has the nous to call Romana up in the office and book an appointment with me. If he could just come when I've finished the meeting or when I'm, I've finished preparing my sermon, that would be really easy. Or when we're not hosting a conference full of a whole heap of suits from IBM who are eating their morning tea and he staggers in the door. What I find with those who are in need is it's incredibly inconvenient. There's the wrestle in me each time that, and it's not every time that I'm able to help out, but whenever I hear that call, Sam Billy's here. I'm yet to find a moment where I've gone, oh yeah, great, I was just sitting here waiting for Bill to turn up. <laughs> it's always inconvenient. What it means for you this morning, I've got to ask you, if you're prepared to be inconvenient, is there a posture of interruptibility about you? I think that's the deep need of those in need in the lower North Shore. We live busy lives. Is there an interruptibility about you? And that's why uh, Rick Resor, he's the senior pastor of Tim Foote's church. Tim, our former worship pastor here. Rick Resor, the senior pastor of Lifebridge Church in Colorado, says this, getting out of your own way is difficult, but going out of your own way is even more. Doing justice means being prepared to get off your ass. 
Here's the third thing. Not only do you need to see the, the burden, uh, see the need, do you, do you not only need to be inconvenienced, but you need to carry some of the burden. Verse 35, here it says, The next day he took out two denarii and he gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, some of you are thinking, here we go, here's the stitch up. Here's, here's the thing about we're going to get hit up to give money to some cause. But you know what's interesting in this? You know what? Giving money was the last thing that this guy did. First he gets off and he bandages the guy. Then he puts him on his donkey. Then he has to go and search out an inn for him to go to. Then he has to talk to the innkeeper. Then he has to put him up for the night. And what, what do we have here? We have a picture here now of holistic ministry. Holistic, interruptible, inconvenient, messy ministry with people. And I think it's so applicable for us, for some of us, you know what? For some of us, giving money is the easy bit. And giving our time is the hardest. For others, giving your time is so easy to do and giving money is hardest. But, but this is part of carrying the burden of holistic ministry. Can you see that he was meeting a whole range of needs? His physical needs. His health needs, his material needs, his security and shelter needs. It was holistic ministry to this person. And he does all of that by it costing him. He has to carry some of the burden. That's why Jonathan Edwards says, in many cases, we may, by the rules of the gospel, be obliged to give to others when we cannot do it, our, do it without burdening ourselves. Else, how is that rule of bearing one another's burdens fulfilled? If we never be obliged to relieve others' burdens, but except for when we can do it without burdening ourselves, then how do we bear our neighbor's burdens when we bear no burden at all? Everyone, all of us, have the resources to meet the needs of someone who needs it. And part of, I think, why we don't think that way is because if you're anything like most uh, around this place and the thing that I grapple with is we're always looking two rungs up the ladder. And consequently, we look up the ladder and we go, I don't have that house and I don't have that car and I don't have that bank balance and I don't have that financial freedom. So therefore, Lord, how am I the one to relieve someone else's needs? But if we spent the time seeing someone who was one or two rungs further down the ladder, then it would be a different story. Every single one of us has the resource to find a need and meet it. And that's what we learned in week one, to have those resources. If you own a car this morning, and blessed to do so, you are in the top 3% of the richest people in the world. And God says if you have those resources and you don't share that need with a neighbour, well then that is not just stinginess, that's injustice. So we need to carry part of the burden. We need to see the need. We need to be inconvenienced a little. We need to carry a bit of a burden. I heard a great story of how this happened this week. Some Northsiders, some Northsiders found that... They live in the same apartment block next to each other. And, uh, and one of them's a, a new single mum with a little boy. And so these other Northsiders said, we'll just come around for dinner. And they did it in the most non-Northside way I've ever heard. 
they told them to come round in their pyjamas. <laughs> just come and have dinner. Come round and just have dinner in their pyjamas. And as this mum was telling me about what it meant for her little boy and all the adjustment that's happening for their life at the moment, it was just one of the most precious scenes of all that this represents. Of seeing a need. We talk, we talk about... In the Bible, the orphans and the widows and the poor, and we go, oh, we don't know where there are any orphans or widows in the Lower North Shore. How do we find them? Too bad there are orphans and widows in the Lower North Shore. You'll see a whole bunch of orphans on Christmas Day in this place that are the kids of parents who are living overseas. And you'll see a whole heap of widows in the Lower North Shore, and they're called single mums and single dads. They are the fastest growing demographic in terms of relationships in this country. The need is there, but it's the, the willingness to be interrupted in all of that and to, to let down our airs and graces that says, you know what, just come around for a meal and let's do it in our dressing gowns. What a beautiful picture. Could you imagine... If we had 400 people in the church, if it wasn't just one couple that did that, but 400 people in the church doing that, what if there was just one Northsider in a street that did that with people? What if there was just one Northsider in every apartment block for those that lived in apartments that did, that did, 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 did that? Would you like to live next door to one of those people? How do we become people like that as we finish this morning? You know, I think there is, there's really two, there's a big question that you and I have on our hearts when I hear, hear this, and it's this. We ask when we come to the person in need that's right in our path, in the Jericho Road path, so we know that we're going to have to bush bash to get around them because it's so obvious. And the question that we ask ourselves is, what's going to happen to me if I stop to help this person? How's it going to impact my life? What's it going to mean for me? Is it going to be messy? Am I, am I going to get into a relationship with this person? Are they going to ask of things of me? What's going to happen to me in all of that? And here's where I love the genius of Jesus and the way that he tells this story. Because that's the question the Levite asked. What's going to happen to me if I help this guy? But here's the question to the, that the Samaritan asked. The Samaritan asked, not, oh, what would happen to me? But the Samaritan asks, what would happen to this guy if I don't stop? Maybe, maybe, just maybe this week, God has so ordained in the way that he has been working since the beginning of time in all of history to bring people into your path, intersections into your life, the needs that be, need to be met in society, not by some supernatural prayer, but because he's put you and them right in the middle of your pathway. And the question, church, that will begin to kickstart this engine and spark it for us is that we ask not what would happen to me, but what would happen to them if I don't stop? And how do we ask that in a way that you just don't feel guilty this morning? And I think it's because you will only stop on the side of the road and be inconvenienced until you see the genius of what Jesus does here. If Jesus had have taken this story, the teacher of the law, and, and said, a Jew walks along and sees another Jew by the side of the road, uh, what would you do? The teacher of the law would have said, well, that's nice. I might have helped him. I might not. Further, further still, Jesus doesn't say if a Jew comes along and sees a Samaritan on the side of the road beaten bloody, the teacher of the law would say, well, praise God. Can't stand him. 
But here's the genius of Jesus. He puts the Jew on the road and the Samaritan in the saddle. And what Jesus says to you and I this morning in that, Jesus asks you, he asks you this, what if it was you on the side of the road? What if it was you that is the person in need? What if it was you that was suffering the financial difficulty? What if you were a refugee? What if you were the one going through a relationship difficulty? What if you were the one born into a family that didn't have the resources to place you where you are? What if it was you? And he presses in on us in a way that only the master teacher can. And only until we have received the grace from someone who doesn't owe us any, any help from someone that doesn't owe us anything and in fact does the opposite, can we be the sort of people that extends help and grace to those that we might feel doesn't deserve it and in fact deserves the opposite. And here's how it works. I shared with you in week one that I, I, I went to Knox Grammar School and I say it that way, tongue in cheek, I'm not trying to be rude. Saying it that way because that's the way that I looked at those sorts of schools. Because I came from a mixed family. Some of you may know, on my, my nan's side of the fence, my nan grew up in a housing commission house. My mum my came from a housing commission family. And the reason that I got the opportunity to be put into that school of such privilege is because, oh, well, I had a cousin who said to the principal, well, you should have a look at my son, uh, my cousin Sam, He's, he's gone through a real tough time at the moment. He could, do, he could do with some help. And he's good at school. He's got a lot of great potential. He could go all right. But he's, you know, there's a lot of tough family stuff going on at the moment. And so I was there on scholarship. On bomb, not scholarship, but bursary. That someone had invested the funds into the school to say this is to be given to someone as an act of grace. And so I ended up at that privileged school in only year nine of 12. And not only that, in my first couple of years, and some of the oldies know this because they've journeyed with my family in this, I ran away from school seven times in my first year at Knox Grammar. And on the seventh time, I got hauled up to the office of the headmaster with all of its carved out cedar wood in the big chair, and I could see him sitting at his desk still with his academic robe on. That's how he operated. It was so scary, we would call him Darth Vader. And he looked at me and he just, he just pointed and sat down. I sat there trembling saying, this is it. And then he said, Haddon, come in. I sit down there in front of his big mahogany desk. And right as I expect him now for him to say, Haddon, that is it. I've given you seven chances. It's it. You're out. Instead of that, he pulled the glasses off and he put his pen down. And he looked up at me and he smiled. And he said, son, what is going on? What's happening for you? And he said, if you ever feel like running away again, the minute you go through those gates, you know my house is on the side there. Whenever you go through those gates, then you know before you go and before you run away, because the next time may be the last time, but before you do that, you come and you knock on my door whatever time of night. We can put a pillow up for you in the sunroom. We can work it through. But that's what you're to do. You know, there's been a, a part of my life that has constantly been driven. There's been an aspect of my ministry that's constantly been driven to go this path and not a corporate path. To want to live a life in which, in some small way, I say I'm not perfect, but want to give back because I've been the recipient 
of grace. And it was that moment of grace that changed my life trajectory forever. And friend, we should know that as Christians. To be a Christian is to sit outside in the big chair in the cedar-carved walls of the ultimate headmaster. And when we know in our lives that spiritually we've all been runaways, we've all had multiple chances in which he should have every right as great judge to cast us out and to send us away. And yet he, through Jesus Christ, has put his glasses down and said, Daughter, son, what's going on? Come in. We are the recipients of grace from someone who had every right to give it to us but didn't. And it should make us the sort of people that extend that to others who are in need. Jesus flips all of this on its head. The only way that we're going to continue to kickstart this engine of seeing the need, of being inconvenienced, of absorbing some of the burden and the cost of all of this is to recognise at the broadest level God has done that for us in Jesus Christ. You have a great responsibility in light of this to put things right where you are. And so the question for you this morning is not, well, who is the person I should extend it to? How do I do social justice? Jesus says to you, the way you do social justice is you put things right where you are. Whoever is in your path is the first step to kickstarting this engine of loving God, loving others, loving God, loving others, loving God, loving others. It should smell like two-stroke. Let's pray. Father, we need as much help here kickstarting our own engines as a young guy does starting his whippersnipper on Monday to do the garden. We have the fuel, we have the processes, we have the principles. There is a dynamic right now as we head into this ministry, Lord, that is beyond my control, that I'm totally helpless to, that everyone who's heard this message Only you and that great mystery can ignite that fuel with a spark in someone's heart and life this morning. Only you can do that work now, Heavenly Father, through your Holy Spirit in this place. Lord, I pray over every person in this auditorium or listening to this message on the podcast this morning, that in some small way we might have an ignition, that there might be be people who begin to move into action out of compassion that we might be brave enough to start with the smallest of small and the most insignificant of insignificant, to love people where they're at, to live justly. And so, Lord, I pray for each and every one of us as we head out into our week this week. Will you give us the eyes this morning, Father, to see that you are ordaining all of these things, all of these people, all of these opportunities by your sovereign hand to intersect with us. Give us the eyes to see. Give us the heart to be inconvenienced. Give us the power to let go of some of our resources and be burdened, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.